Hey, how you doing? Today on the podcast, what are you trading a day of your life for? And my interview with Damon Lemby, CEO of Learn It and best-selling author of The Learn It All Leader, focusing on learning leadership, behavior change, and the future of work. Ready? Let's go. You know how you sometimes feel stuck? Like you're drifting through life, going through the motions? Then you're in the right place. Find your purpose. Live your passion. Let's go. Hey, give me a day of your life right now. If someone came up and demanded that from you, you'd probably want something good in return for that, right? I mean, your life, even one day of it, is a very precious thing. And once you've lived it, it's gone, brother. It's gone forever. So why do we treat some of our hours, some of our days, maybe even some of our years on what we know is not our best? We know it's not our passion or purpose. We know it's not what we're here for. So why do we spend so much time just going through the motions? Why do we sometimes come to the end of the day and think, what did I really do today that mattered? How did I spend that one day of my life? Well, sometimes life beats us down. I mean, sometimes you're just trying to get by. Sometimes you get in a rut. Sometimes it's too scary to even think about how stuck you are. And sometimes it's too scary to figure out what you really want and then actually go for it. So what happens? You drift. You go through the motions. And time keeps slipping away. Greg, you're not going to sing that Steve Miller Band song, are you? Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. Yep, I'm going to sing it. I know you've heard time is money, but that's wrong. Time is more valuable than money. Because you can make more money, but no one can make more time. So if you wouldn't let someone have a day of your life without getting something great in return for it, then isn't it time to demand something great from yourself for every one of your days left? What you do in the next 24 hours should be important. You are trading a day of your life for it. So what will you choose to do? I love what F.S. Fitzgerald said. I hope you live a life you're proud of. If you find you're not, I hope you have the strength to start all over again. Okay, that's a great question then. Are you proud of your life? Can you look in the mirror and say, you're making the most of what you were created with and what you were created to become? Are you proud of how you interact with other people, of how other people feel when you walk into the room? Maybe there are some parts of your life you feel really great about and others not so much. So how can you focus on that area, the not-so-much area, and bring it in line with your core values? If you feel stuck, how do you get unstuck? Grow. Oh, thanks, Greg. That's really helpful. I never thought of that. Oh, hang on just a second. Grow actually stands for something. G stands for goals. R for reality. O for options. And W for your way forward. See, I believe you have the best answers to your own questions. And if you take the time to become more self-aware, to fully develop your goals and your options, you can choose the best ones. You can take action on them. You can pursue your passionate purpose. When you take responsibility for creating your life, you become so much more invested in the work and the outcomes, and you usually become more successful. So if you're stuck, start with figuring out what you really want. Begin with the end in mind. What do you want? And if you're not clear on that, it's going to be much more difficult to get there. Then move to your goals. If this resonates with you, I want you to have a free gift from me. It's my ebook, Five Steps to Finding Your Passion and Purpose. Get it at my website, gregorybnapp.com. The information's in the show notes. Which part of your life do you need to change? Your career, relationships, physical fitness, spiritual development, what exactly? Now, some of the great questions I use to figure out my goals come from the book Coaching for Performance by John Whitmore. We're going to take the example of you looking to improve your career, but you can use these questions similarly for any part of your life you want to improve. Imagine when you're in the future. What would your ideal work situation be? What would a typical day look like? Describe it in great detail. What part or parts of that ideal work situation do you desire the most? And how important on a scale of 1 to 10 is each one of those parts of your work to you? Now, what is your work goal? If it seems too big a goal, 
what are some smaller, more attainable goals that will get you on your way to your ultimate goal? When would you want this goal achieved? This is where a lot of people struggle. A lot of people try to think, I've got to get it all done tomorrow or within six months. But really think about, how can I get this done over time? You do have time, not all the time in the world, but you do have time. And I think sometimes we allow our goals to go by the wayside because we just don't think they've happened quickly enough. But I would say, if you're moving towards your goal, you're winning. So don't let some kind of artificial time crunch you put on yourself frustrate you. Keep moving towards where you want to be and enjoy the process that you're in and you're succeeding. Now, how will you know when you've achieved this goal? I found there are times that just getting clear on your goal gets you unstuck. Now, most of the time, you're going to want to go further to ensure success, but that's an awfully good start. So the next step, you got to be brutally honest with yourself about your reality. Objectively look at your current situation. Now, a key here is owning the responsibility for where you are and what it will take to get you where you want to be. Self-awareness is crucial to getting unstuck, and all the research shows the vast majority of us never blame ourselves for where we are in life. It's always someone else or something else because it makes us feel better. But you know what? It doesn't really help us. Look, we've got to take responsibility for our part in this. Is it sometimes other people are doing things to you, extenuating circumstances, etc.? Yeah, of course it is. But you can't change all those other things. You can change yourself and you can make decisions and do things that will move you where you want to go. Staying with this change in careers, our example, start with some questions like this. What's your current reality at work? What's your reality on what it would take to change that? What and who don't you like in your current work situation? What and who do you like in your current work situation? How much of this do you see is under your control? How could you make it something that you could control? What makes your work meaningful for you? What do you see as your purpose in your work? Now, once you go through all those, and this is going to take some time. I mean, you're going to have to rewind this thing, jot down some of the questions, find a place to think, turn everything off. But once you get clear on what you want, where you are, then you need to look at the O, the options. What options do you have for changing things? Staying with the goal of a new job, all right? What might you gain by changing jobs or starting your own business? What might you lose? How do you make sure the same things you don't like about your current job don't crop up again in your new job? See, one of the things you're going to find as you keep having the same problems over and over and over and different things in your life is that the common denominator in all those is you. So what do you need to change about you to make sure that the same problem doesn't crop up again in the next place you go? What do you need to change about yourself to create that business or to get that job you want? What else could you do? And what else? Greg, you keep asking the same question. I know, but you've got to keep going deeper and deeper into that so you can come up with a bunch of different ideas. Well, Greg, if I knew these answers, wouldn't I already be moving on? Yeah, but here's the truth I think you already know. No one's coming to your rescue to give you these answers that really resonate with you. No one knows those answers about you, but you. If it was easy, you could just Google it and do it. You've got to figure it out for you. So here's a really good one. If you knew the answer to your most important questions, what would they be? I know that sounds ridiculous, but sometimes when you ask yourself that question and just sit in it, You'd be surprised what your brain comes up with. What advice would you give a friend if they came to you with this exact situation that you're in? Okay, of all the options you've come up with so far, which three do you like the most? Which one of those would make the biggest difference in your life? All right, you've come a long way so far in this, but if you stop right now, you really haven't done that much that's truly meaningful. You have to take action. So now it's time for W the way forward. What specific actions are you going to take to achieve your goal? Which options are you going to take action on? What actions have you already taken on this so far? How did those work out? If they didn't work out well, can you figure out why not and change it and try again? When will you start? That's a big one. 
Remember, someday is not on your calendar. How will you know when you achieve your goal? That's a big one. What's your deadline for achieving your goal? Remember, we talked about that a little bit. On a scale of 1 to 10, how strongly do you feel you can achieve your goal on time? And if it's not at least an 8, what can you do to make it an 8? Is it that you change the deadline or you change your way to get to that deadline? Do you need to take smaller actions that you believe you can achieve in order to ramp up to bigger ones? What can you do to stay motivated when you hit obstacles? Because you know you're going to. And remember, why do you want this? How can that keep you motivated? And how often should you review your progress to make sure you stay on track? Do you have an accountability partner you can check in with once a week or so so that you have this motivation and support in order to keep going? Now, look, this is just a small look at how the GROW process can help get you unstuck. You may need to improve your education or your skills or your talents to get where you want to go. But your goals, options, and solutions for what you want and why you want it are inside you. And it's time to start pulling them out. Let's go. I'm bringing in Damon Lemby. Now, he's the CEO of Learn It, best-selling author of the Learn It All Leader 24 years he's been at the helm of a corporate training company, has upskilled over 1.8 million professionals. And he came to business from a career in baseball, and he brings an athlete's perspective on leadership and training. Damon, how you doing? Greg, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, my pleasure. So I want to talk about, you speak on a lot of things, learning, leadership, behavior change, the future of work, all that speaks to my heart because those things I care about a lot. Um, what I wanted to start with, though, is I've noticed when you meet people, strangers at a party, wherever, it fairly quickly turns to, so what do you do? And those conversations, they're kind of boring, to be honest with you. You know, you kind of tune out once you hear what the person does. And I like the idea more of saying, what do you believe? So if a stranger came up and said, Hey, Damon, what do you believe? What would you say? I would say, you know, what I believe is that we're never a finished product. There's always room for growth, you know, whether it's being a better parent, a better leader at work. I think that I believe that we can always continue to get better. And, you know, just like in sports, there's always somebody out there who's better than you. So I think you can continue to, to grow and evolve. That's, that's how I'd answer that question. I love that. Okay, so getting to know each other a little bit. The second quick one would be a couple of your favorite movies. And why are they your favorites? Okay. As you can see, I got the Rocky II poster here in the background. Um, My two favorite movies, I would say, are uh, Scent of a Woman with Al Pacino and Rocky II. A close third is probably the original Star Wars. But um, why Rocky II and Scent of a Woman are my favorite movies are they kind of have the uh, underdog theme in it. You know, um, have you seen uh, Scent of a Woman? I'm sure oh, yeah. Have. Yeah. Who are um, that last that last scene where Frank Slade or Al Pacino gets in and sits there and, and steps in for the kid was amazing. And in Rocky II, I think the scene that still gets me every time I watch it is when Adrian is waking up from her uh, coma, you know, and Rocky's like, hey, Adrian, uh, I don't have to fight anymore. I can go out, get a get a job. And and she just, you know, she she leans in and says, come over here, Rocky. And he says, what? And she's like, just win. And you can see his trainer in the background go, you know, uh, let's do it. Let's get going. So those are my those are my two go to. What's your favorite? What would you say your favorite movie is? Yeah, first of all, I love yours. And in Rocky II, that scene is awesome. And they did such a great build up to it. You know, the rock, the whole Rocky uh, franchise. Yeah. The the very last one, Rocky Balboa, mm-hmm. I thought was the most like the original Rocky, where it was really a story about his character development and uh, and the character development of the secondary characters and all about becoming this person you need to be to achieve what you want in life. And I loved that last one. Now I liked Rocky one and two were awesome. Three was fun when you're a, a, a you know, a young kid like I was or teenager. Um, but yeah, Mr. those, th- those are all, yeah. Just because it was so fun to have Mr. T and to, 
see the ridiculous fight scenes where anybody would have been dead after about three yeah. of those hits, you know, <laughs> yeah. those, those were fun. <laughs> but that's for all the, all those movies. I mean, they're just taking uh, straight punches right to the face, not right. back and forth. Unbelievable know? hits that would have just knocked you out. There's no oh, way, but they were fun. They were a lot of fun. Yeah, now, fun. For, for me, I'm a big comedy guy. So like okay. the original Arthur with Dudley Moore. Loved it. Hilarious. Loved it. Like it. every scene has so many one-liners. Yeah. Um, the original Fletch, the same way, just one-liners all the way through it. You know, Animal, uh, Animal House. Yeah, uh, yeah, great movie. Casablanca for drama. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll still watch that. People don't understand. If you have never watched that movie, watch that movie and just listen to all the phrases we still say. Like, even if you've never seen the movie, you know, play it again, Sam, or, you know, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship or, you you know, all these uh, round up the usual suspects. I'm shocked, shocked. You know, all these things come from Casablanca and people still say them. That's amazing to me that you could write a movie that long ago that has a great story, great emotion in it when they sing the French national anthem in the in the gambling casino and the Nazis are there and all, oh, oh man, just so many great things in that movie. Now, yeah. you may not know the answer to this, but isn't it true that they actually filmed Casablanca before World War II ended? And oh, they, I don't know. Yeah, that's something. Uh, I, I, I'm a big World War II buff, so uh, I'm pretty sure that they want that they actually got that movie out before before the um, you know France was taken back. And uh, but it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting story. I think it came out before the, the war actually ended. That's even better. Yeah, that's really cool. And that's that's when cinema is at its best, when it can really get your emotions and get you motivated to do something. And like when you finish ro watching Rocky II, you want to go become a boxer. Oh, or just just do something, run 10 miles. Yeah. When, Top Gun, when Top Gun came out, I was a senior in high school and I wanted to go be a naval aviator at that time. You're like, man, I want to be Top Gun. You know, yeah, so, I like Top Gun, but I, I don't think I want to be a naval aviator. But it's uh, that's a great movie too. Tom Cruise yeah. is great. I mean, come on, you know. I wanted to be a naval aviator until I looked into what it really entailed, and then I yeah. went, "That was a great movie." <laughs> I oh, last, to thing do that. <laughs> last thing I'll say about that is, after reading the Firm and some of John Grissom's books, you know, for a while there, I wanted to be a lawyer. Yeah, but um, but then I then I didn't. Yeah, but, that stuff will get you. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, let's start with your purpose, because that's what I'm big into. Um, there's, I think there's so many different ways to find your purpose, discover it, pursue it, start doing things and see what you like. Uh, and everybody comes at it in a different way. How did you get, because I know that you've done a lot of things in your life. You, you were an athlete big time, and now you move into this training and speaking how did you find your purpose and how did it change over time? So I think growing up, my purpose was to be, I wanted to be a professional baseball player is really, you know, I grew up a great group of friends. We all played different sports during the time of the year, football season with football, basketball, basketball, but baseball. And, and, and I really love baseball. But, you know, Greg, I also really, my purpose was I really kind of wanted to make my parents, especially my dad, proud. He was a huge baseball guy. And um, and so that was my purpose for the first 22 years of my life. Um, I put everything in, I'm, you know, kind of went all in and um, put all my eggs in a baseball basket and um, made it pretty far. You know, I was drafted by the Atlanta Braves in the 13th round out of high school. And, uh, but I chose to go to Pepperdine university instead and, um, left there, went to Arizona state, played in the college world series. If this resonates with you, I want you to have a free gift for me. It's my ebook, five steps to finding your passion and purpose. Get it at my website, gregorybnap.com. The information's in the show notes. And I was ready to continue on, get drafted again. And all of a sudden I didn't get, I didn't get picked up and I was, uh, everything that I've thought about doing for 22 years was all of a sudden over with, you know, and uh, like a lot of athletes, I was kind of depressed and, you know, I, I pretty much, my identity was a baseball player and it was tough. It, it was really tough. And I was, um, 
but I was fortunate, you know, I came from a family with a big real estate background and other businesses. And I just kind of dove into, uh, I wasn't too intimidated to go work for a real estate or hotel company, but my father at the time, Walt was starting this computer training company called learn it. And I started there as a, uh, as a receptionist and you fast forward 25 years. I'm uh, the CEO there. I love um, I've been for 25 years. I love learn it. And really my purpose since then, and I, I have multiple purposes, but my work purpose is, you know, I mean, it when I say I want to make a difference in people's lives, you look at our employees, which is the most important to me is the fact that I run this, business where we have, you know, 75, 80 employees. And it really gives me a charge. It feels good to know that I'm helping, helping them with their insurance, you know, with being able to purchase a house, do what they want to do. So that really um, is uh, something I'm passionate about. And also on the customer side, hey, we're upskilling and we're helping people with their professional and, and personal skills. So really, I would say that, that that's my purpose now is, is making a difference in people's lives. The other one is, of course, I have uh, I have two little kids. I have a six-year-old, uh, I'm a late starter. I have a six-year-old daughter, Lucy, and a two-year-old son, Walter. And I really just want to uh, be a great example for them. And, and I have a great wife, but I, my purpose is to be a great father so they can learn and you know evolve as they grow up. So many great things in that. Uh, number one, I agree with you that you have multiple purposes. I don't think any of us have one. I don't think, it, and I, there's nothing wrong with it changing over time. Absolutely. And so I love that you have in different parts of your life of what you see as your purpose for that. And, and, and then you talked about, you started off at the receptionist level and now you're running Learn It, right? Mm -hmm. So, so you had this curve of how you changed in that company and what you learned and became, and you have those two work purposes for the employees and for the customers. Was that a thing where, did you ever really just sit down and think, all right, what is my purpose here at Learn It? Or is it something that kind of evolved over time as you worked there? I mean, that's a great question. I never really thought about it like that. You know, if somebody, if somebody, because think about it, I've done other things outside of Learn It, but I've been here 28 years, you know, and I, uh, I love going to work every day. I, you know, in the, in the old days, we'd go into the office in San Francisco and everybody would be surrounded. Everything's changed since COVID. Um, but I look forward to it. I, you know, when the weekends come into end, I don't have Sunday blues. I'm, I'm ready to go. And a lot of it is around working with the people that we have. So I, I never really sat down and, and thought about, well, this is my purpose for that. It's just something that I've always kind of done. You know, it's, yeah. always, it's always kind of been there. It's always been my drive. Yeah, and I think that's a that's an interesting thing for us to remember because sometimes I think we get really wrapped up in this idea that there has to be a lightning strike moment that says, there's my purpose. Oh, and yeah. that doesn't happen to most people. Right. And that's okay. And and for you to just kind of come to this conclusion that yeah, I, I'm here to help my employees have a way to take care of their family and get insurance. And I'm here to help my customers learn and, and upscale what they do. And that gives me drive and joy is, is great. And it didn't have to be some burning bush moment in order to get that. I, I think is very important for people to remember. And I would just suggest to people try and figure that out where you are right now. Because it will give you so much more joy if you don't know. Like if if you're going to work every day and you don't know why you're doing it, mm -hmm. if you can really take some time and figure out, okay, here's what I do. Here's the impact I have on people doing it. And you know what? That's that's kind of cool. And 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 maybe if I did this, I'd have this impact. And you find the best purpose you can in the job you have. Mm -hmm. Your joy is just going to increase every day by knowing that you're doing something worth doing compared to just going to work every day. And there's so many people in America that go to work every day. They have no idea why. They don't think their job's important. They don't think they're making a difference. And that is a miserable experience for 40 to 60 hours a week for 40 to 60 years of your life. So I would just encourage people, figure it out, man, because every job has purpose. So you can, even if it's not your favorite thing, man, you can find out something right now 
and you can work towards something else. I look at it. Yes, I agree with you. I look at it also like, um, and I was listening to one of your other episodes where you talked about, you know, sometimes you take a job because you got to pay the bills and, and that's totally, totally fine. Absolutely. I look at it like I've always told my employees, if you get up in the morning and you're walking down Montgomery Street to go to learn it or these days getting on Zoom or whatever you're doing and, and you dread what you're doing, there's a couple of different things to do. Go to your manager uh, or you can come speak to me and let's let's talk about it. Let, let's see if there's uh, I'm a big believer in focusing on people's strengths over weaknesses, you know, and, and what they enjoy. So go to your manager and say, hey, this is a part of my job I really like, or this is something I think I can do at Learn It. Uh, you know, maybe you're an instructor, but you you, you want to get into sales. Like, how can we help you do that? You know, where can we take what you think are your strengths and what you're excited about and put you towards that direction, pivot you towards that direction? And because like you just said, 40 to 60 hours a week, 40 to 60 years of your life, that's miserable if you hate your job, you know? Um, and at the end of the day, if you don't like what you do, then there's nothing wrong with leaving and find something else. I know it's tough out there, but I'm a big believer that you got to find something uh, that makes you happy, that you enjoy, and, and you feel like to some degree, even that you're making a difference. Because like you said, every job you have out there can make a difference and can have an impact on, you know, where you work. Hey man, I love all that. Uh, and you're the type of manager that I love to work with because you get it that just because somebody who works for you is not loving what they're doing right now, doesn't mean they're a bad employee. It might mean that you have them in the wrong spot. And if they're willing to tell you what they care about and you have something like that, you could end up having a, a C player become an A player simply because now you got them in the right spot and they're excited about it. That is fantastic. And, and, and if, if you're somebody who is an employee that's feeling that way, the best thing to do is think about, okay, you know what your company does. What would you love to do? What was your dream job at this company? And what would you do? And bring that to your manager. Don't just come in and go, Oh, this job sucks. And I, right. Right. Come, yeah. This is what I would love to do for you, Dan. Yeah. I think I yeah. could be great at this and I, I could do the ABCD and I could, and you come in with ideas and now you got something, right? I, I have a, a quick story about that. I talk about it in my book. There's this young woman that uh, early in her career, Carly Lutz, she's on the sales team. This is probably 2018, 2019. And, and she, great attitude, really sharp, uh, worked hard, but I could kind of sense that she wasn't into doing sales. And so she called a meeting with me. We sat down at Jamba Juice and we started talking and she's like, you know, I might leave because I'm just not passionate about doing sales. And I, and I just kind of got curious. I'm like, well, what, if, what could you do at Learn It? Do you think that would uh, benefit Learn It and that you'd be passionate about? And she said, I'm really into learning how to build online communities. You know, uh, I'm a big, a big about communities and I'd love to build an online community. I've been, you know, looking at jobs and for your listeners out there, for one, I think it's great that she wasn't afraid to, instead of just leaving, that she came and had this conversation with me, you know, uh, and you'd be surprised if you want to call it your manager, or your leader, or whatever, how, you know, I would much rather have somebody like Carly come speak to me than just take off. And I said, hey, you know what? I've always wanted to build an online community, which is true. And I said, how about I'll give you a week, go put together a business plan, a simple business plan, you know, really simple, one page bullet points. And she came back with it. And even somebody so new in her career, you know, blew me away with this plan. She built this online community we have, you know, and we have about 10,000 members in it. And, and she still, she doesn't work for me full time anymore, but she still runs our community. So it's a, it's an example of something where, that uh, I took somebody who's a, I consider an A player and was able to pivot her towards uh, something that she was passionate about, which would have never happened if she didn't, you know, come to me and, and, and share those thoughts with me. Yeah, that's great. I love that. One of the other things you said when I was asking about your purposes, you said at first, you think the number one reason, may, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, maybe it wasn't number one. But a big reason you wanted to do baseball was to make your dad proud because your dad loved baseball, mm -hmm. right? So 
the the question I have about that is a lot of people think they have a purpose, but they're really doing it for someone else, mm -hmm. either their parents or their spouse or society, you know, what's expected of them. And usually that doesn't work out well. You end up being a little bit jaded and bitter and upset that you feel like you were forced to do it. Right. And it sounded to me like somehow that worked out for you. Did it? I mean, it, it, the thing to make your dad proud also coincided with what you loved or were you just doing it for your dad? No, it's a great question. And, and I was actually thinking about that before I, I said it because I wasn't playing baseball just to make my dad proud. I was playing baseball because I enjoyed it. And for lack of selling arrogant, very good. And, uh, and it just, but it gave me extra incentive. I just knew that, um, I, you know, I mean, like a lot of kids, he was my idol, you know, and, and he, and he, and my mother, um, did a really good job. I, I believe raising the four kids and I, I, I wanted to be able to give back. And one of the ways I was able to do that was, you know, trying to be a good kid. I mean, we all got in trouble, but, uh, through baseball and it really made me, I mean, I just remember even the playing at Florida against Florida state, seeing my, my dad and my grandfather who didn't know anything about baseball, you know, over, over on the third baseline watching and just the, the, how proud they were to, to be able to be there. So I agree what you're, what you're saying. It's like, you, you shouldn't find your purpose. I think what you're saying you shouldn't find your purpose based off what other people are telling you, you should be doing. It just, I, I guess for me, I just got lucky and it, and it, it kind of came together. Yeah. That's a great coincidence there that it, uh, what you were feeling kind of pushed to do was what you love to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. Right. It's where it goes bad is when you don't really want to do it and you're doing it for someone else. You know, we've all heard that story and probably met people. I met people in college that were getting a degree in medicine because their dad was a doctor. They didn't really like medicine, but they were doing it anyway. That's not going to turn out well. But if you love medicine and your dad's in it, no problem. That's awesome. Um, the there's a great thing, book. There's a yeah. great book called um, Range. Have you ever read Range by David Epstein? It, it, Is it that the one where he talks about you can you could be good at a bunch of different things and that's okay? Isn't that it? Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And and he uses that exact example in it, Greg, where he talks about uh, he uses a case study of this uh, kid who grew up um, and went to medical school all the way through medical school just because his dad was a doctor and his dad wanted him to be a doctor and he was miserable throughout the whole time. And finally, um, after he graduated medical school and was a doctor for a year, he left and he got into healthcare consulting. And the whole point of the story was that, you know, don't pigeonhole yourself into one thing. And if it's something you really don't enjoy, you, you got to find your purpose or, or something else elsewhere. And, it, and it's okay to quit things um, to find something that would make you more happy. Amen. Absolutely. I think there's a big difference between giving up and quitting, right? Giving up is, oh, this is too hard. I don't know. I uh, I think I'll give up. Quitting is, I tried this. I did it the length of time I said I was going to do it. And I don't really like it. I'm going to try something else now. Uh, and if you can't, if you couldn't quit, we could never do anything new because eventually there's so much in your life. You can't do anything new, right? My, my parents were always like, all right, if you're going to play if you're going to play little league baseball this year, you got to play the whole season. If you yeah. want to quit next year, you can, no problem. Quitting would be in the middle of the season. You know, right. trying something new would be, I'm going to do something new next year. I think those are different things. I yeah. agree with you. And for any of your listeners out there also who are parents, a lot of people come to me and say, Hey, I want my kid to be a, uh, get a college baseball scholarship, just like you did. So I have this coach that does this, the coach that does that. And my response to them is two things. Don't specialize and just play one sport, play everything, right? And then play different instruments and, and do different things. And you got to make sure that the kid wants to, like my son, Walter, Wally, if he doesn't want to be a baseball player, that's fine. You know what I mean? That is totally fine. So uh, I, I see some of these parents out there and, and it's just like, hey, let the kids live their dreams or their passions, not what you kind of push them to, to wanting to do. Hey, man, and you got a lot better chance of getting a scholarship on academics than you do on sports, but nobody seems to want to push that one. Yeah, <laughs> you just just do well in school, man. You'll have a lot more choices and, and do what you like. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I also wanted to ask you about your identification, uh -huh. right? You said 
you know, that my ID was in baseball. Right. And I had a similar thing, man. I was a radio talk show host for 21 years and we got new management. Mm -hmm. They, they wanted to go a different direction with the station. It really freaked me out because I had the number one ratings on the station and they go, we're going a new direction. Um, This is your last day. Right. And I'm like, wait a second. On my drive home, I I was like, I'm a talk show host. I was like, not anymore. You're fired, dude. I mean, obviously you can go get another job as a talk show host, but for a minute it hit me like, but this is who I am. Yeah. Um, And I had to really, really do some soul searching again about who I really am, you know, because I know I'm not a radio talk show. So there's a lot of other things I am. That's one of the things I do, but it's easy in our Western culture. Because everybody says, hey, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? What do you do for a living? How do you make your money? Everything is about that. And if that's gone, then who are you? And that sounds like what happened to you with baseball. How did you how did you work through that when all of a sudden I'm not a baseball player anymore? Well, for one, I really enjoyed listening to your episode about your whole path through the uh, getting into broadcasting it, um, you know, being a radio guy. I love how you just did it for free and I even paid to do it. You know, you grind it, you know? Mm. And, and um, so for me, it was hard, you know, it was uh, first 22 years of my life. That's what I am. I'm a baseball player. You know, I'm a, I'm a baseball player. And uh, then we're finishing up the world series and other people got, I thought for sure I was going to be, I was supposed to be drafted between the seventh and 12th round. Didn't get picked up for whatever reason. You know, maybe um, they thought I hit my full potential. Who knows? And that was it. And it was hard. I was I was a little depressed. And um, but at some point I said, I can't I can't live in the I can't live in the past. I have to uh, I, I have to move on. And I just uh, maybe it's just my mentality. I, I, I started off at Learn It, like I mentioned, as a receptionist. And I just went from putting 100 percent into um, baseball into just diving in full speed at learn it. And I just dove in, rolled up my sleeves, trying to learn as much as I can. Wanted to, wanted to prove to this, to the team, small team at the time that I belonged. And it wasn't just some position that my dad gave me. And, um, and it was a great learning experience. And I went through being a receptionist and I taught classes and did sales. And, uh, so it really, uh, helped me gain my, um, self-confidence, and for the athletes out there or musicians, you know, you got to understand that your skills are transferable, just like with yourself in radio. I'm sure that what you, what you, what well, actually, well, obviously look what you're doing now, right? Speaking and, and podcasting and, and probably coaching and helping. Um, but the skills that I learned in baseball, I didn't realize at the time, but those are transferable. Uh, and it's a cheesy way to say it, but you know, you're still using it, wearing a uniform. It's just a different uniform now. And yeah, so, uh, it sounds to me like part of your identity is a person who goes all in on what you do, that you're not going to just go halfway and that you're going to earn everything that you get by putting forth that effort. Is, is that fair? I think that that's, uh, that's literally chapter one in my book. So yeah, that's fair. Uh, my, when I was five years old, if you didn't call me Batman, I wouldn't respond to you. I was Batman, you know, I mean, I was Batman. <laughs> and so just like my kid Wally is uh Marshall from Paw Patrol now, you know? Um, and I, I guess, yeah, I guess my identity is somebody who, who just kind of, just kind of goes all in and um, puts as much effort into it as possible. I love that. How do you find joy while you're working so hard at work and in any part of your life, really, but where do you get that joy from on a daily basis? Well, I mean, that's interesting. I really enjoy my work. Trust me, there's a lot of bumps in the roads, you know, I mean, look, we've been through multiple recessions and, and, and everything and had our ups and downs and made some pretty dumb mistakes. Um, But I guess I can just get my, I guess I get my joy from, uh, I don't know, you set out for goals and, and, sometimes, and sometimes you accomplish them, but, but also I, I just enjoy the people I work with and the customers we work with. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it, it comes, I don't know. Sometimes people will say, well, that's because you own your own business. So it's different for you. And, and great. Maybe that's true, but I, but I believe that 
in any role you can you can find joy. For me, it's just I think really the people I work with and the opportunity to uh, innovate and 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 help others. I love it, and I agree with you. You can't. I, Earl Nightingale, he's the guy that started uh, Nightingale Publishing, and really, it's what Audible is now is what he did back in the day. It was books on tape. He's the the guy that really started that all up, and he was a radio guy before he got into that, and then he became a speaker and an author and. I love his definition of success because his definition is success is the progressive realization of, of a goal, a worthy goal or ideal, right? So, and I've really been into that lately that, that success is a process and that joy comes from the process, not the outcome. So as soon as that, like you have your worthy goal and ideal of taking care of your customers, taking care of your employees and how you define that for yourself. So every step you're taking towards doing that is success. Mm -hmm. And so that's how you get joy every day because you know, you're doing that, right? When you have, when you have a good day with the customers and you can see they're learning stuff that's going to help their career, that brings you joy. When you, when you see one of your employees enjoying his job and able to take his family on a vacation, that brings you joy, right? That that progressive realization of your worthy goal or ideal allows you to have joy all the time and not just one day, someday in the future when you hit this goal. And I think to me, that's what I'm trying to share with as many people as possible, that if, you, if you're holding back your joy for that day you hit the big one, you're not gonna have many days of joy. Uh, but if you can be excited about every day because of what you're doing, that's a different life. I agree with you 100%. I look at it like life's a marathon, not a sprint, you know, for one. And setting up little milestones or in sales that learn it, we call it mini steps, where it's little wins across uh, along the way. You know, using a sports analogy in football, very rarely does somebody throw a Hail Mary and, you know, 95-yard pass touchdown. You have to move the ball down the field. So I'm a big believer in celebrating the little wins along the way, which is really the process. Um, even with my six-year-old daughter, I don't. I, I care less about whether or not she gets an A on a paper. I don't even think they probably don't even grade. So, uh, but it's the process. It's the work that you put into it along the way. You know, it's it's learning to do the work and and go through the process and reward yourself and celebrate that. Uh, then always then then the final the final grade so to speak so yeah i i totally agree with that it's in the process yeah i know a lot of your background is in sports we've been talking about and you had three hall of fame coaches that you played for uh, how do you take like you said these skills are transferable i'm sure you learned a ton under them how did you take those skills? How did that help you become a successful leader at Learn It? I would I would say that um, between my three, I did. I played for. I bounced around a couple of colleges: Pepperdine, College of San Mateo, Arizona State, and all three of those coaches were Hall of Fame. Um, and I learned from all of them, and it really helped mold my leadership skills, along with what I learned from my father and, and others. Um, take for example. Andy Lopez at Pepperdine, he, a couple of things I learned from him. Well, first, number one was Pepperdine was a small school, but he had the vision, Greg, that we're going to win the World Series. That's what we're going to do. And a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I don't know if that's something you should be trying to tell your recruits because that's probably not going to happen. But he focused on it. And unfortunately, I got hurt and left. But the year that I left, they won the World Series. So it's okay to dream big. You know, that, that's one thing I learned from him. It's okay to dream big and go for your goals instead of letting people push you down and you can't do it. Uh, the other thing that I really learned from him is he had, he had two rules. One was show up on time, pretty self-explanatory. And the other was just do the right thing. And sometimes the players would say, well, what does do the right thing mean? That's, that's kind of broad. And really what it means is you know what to do. You know if, if what you're doing is the right thing. And uh, if it's not, you know, don't cut corners. Don't do something that lacks integrity. Um, those are really what I learned from him. Um, I also learned to be uh, competitive. I think that teaches you a lot about competition. And uh, my 
when I was at Arizona State, a lot about accountability. You know, the coaches, they kind of gave us, they taught us to kind of keep ourselves accountable, you know, um, so they didn't have to always babysit all the time, but they, you know, they put the trust in us, they gave us the direction, and then we held ourselves accountable. The other thing that was really uh, eye-opening for me that, that was tremendous was my coach, Jim Brock, who's a, you know, a legendary baseball coach. This was the last year of his life. I mean, he was uh, dying from uh, liver cancer, and um, but he still had the courage when he felt well enough to come out to the field and be with the team, and, and he was stoic. And he actually died um, in the middle of our World Series. You know, he, he came to game one, and then he, uh, you know, he loved baseball, loved, loved his team, and um, then, you know, two days later, he passed away in Omaha. Um, those are a lot of the good lessons that I've learned. I've also played for some coaches, doesn't matter who it is, that uh, I learned what not to do as a leader. Uh, and the number one thing that sticks out for me is I had this one pretty well-known coach who, whenever we were successful, great. He took all the, all the, uh, accolades. It was all about him. It was all about how I made this great call or this pitching decision, or I did this, I did that. <laughs> the players would just kind of sit there like, all right, whatever. But if, if things didn't go well, uh, pass the blame on to us he would say you know i don't how are we supposed to uh win if the our cleanup hitter is was over four which you know was me at the time so that really helped me learn as a leader at learn it is uh i like to give our team members the opportunity to come up with ideas and celebrate them uh if, if things work out uh give them the credit for it i think that's really important uh give them the space and the credit and if things, you know, don't go well, I think it's the leader's uh, responsibility to, to hold themselves accountable for it, right? So celebrate, give your team the wins and and, and, and take the, the brunt of the, uh, you know, the failures. And I think that that's something yeah. that all things I learned. Yeah, that reminds me of an old joke where it's a, a, a retired football player went to work for a corporation and it wasn't a good quarter and the owner was in there yelling at all the employees and saying, you're doing this wrong and you're doing this wrong and going around the room. And then he turned to the football player and he goes, you know, it's time for us to get new players. I mean, you play in the NFL and you know, if your team's not doing well, you, you get yourself some new players, right? And the, and, the, and the player goes, well, if the whole team's doing bad, we usually get a new coach. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like that's awesome. Uh, no, those are great lessons. I, I really love to do the right thing because it's yeah. so simple. And like you said, it's easy to go, well, I don't know what that is, but you do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you just take a minute and look inside and I, I had someone, and I, I can't remember who said this to me, but it's like, it's like a tiny twist on that. And he said, just do the next, the next right thing. Because sometimes that's easier. Like you might not be able to figure out the the right thing for the next five years, but you can figure out the next right thing right now. And if you just keep doing that, that's all we have is right now. You know, I mean, that's something that is so crazy that we get so focused on the past or the future and it's good to plan and it's good to learn. But the only way we make the future is by what we do right now and right now and right now and right now. I can't do anything in the past. I can't do anything in the future. All I can do is the next right thing right now. And if I keep doing that, then those add up into the next right thing in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you can't change the past. And it's it's kind of like uh, the, you see those people on the, uh, the that go to the gym uh, one time a month or a quarter and they, and they sprint on the treadmill, right, for 20 minutes. Uh, and they think that that's going to change the future for them. But it's really not, you know, I mean, getting consistent and, and, and working out and doing things on a regular basis is, you know, right now is that exactly what you're saying is going to uh, have a long term gratification. Yeah. Have you ever read The Slight Edge? No. Is, it, is that a good one? Yeah, it's real good. And it's all about what we just said right there. He, he He's like, you know, if you really look at life, it's all about just slow compounding interest of doing the right things. And the problem with us is, like you said, working out consistently the first two weeks you do it, you're not thin. You're not all of a sudden a superstar. 
and it does you you can barely tell the difference. But if you keep doing that all year, there's a huge difference. And just like if the next day you don't work out one day and you have two donuts for breakfast, you don't notice. Right. But if you do it for a year, you notice. It's just these slight changes that make all the difference in everything you do. And if you get the plan, and you did this as an athlete, you get that disciplined plan of what you're going to do every day the same way. That slight edge just keeps compounding over time. And before you know it, you're a great baseball player because you did the same things every day that the other people wouldn't do every day. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, you got to be able to be, um, I don't know if they talk about that in the slight edge, but you got to be okay with delayed gratification. Exactly. Yeah, it's huge. And nobody in America is good at delayed gratification anymore. We want it right now. And that doesn't have, even in business, you see it so many times. How many times do you see, if you scroll any kind of social media, they're going to tell you how to make, you know, you can start oh, making yeah. 10K a week starting tomorrow yeah. if you just do my thing. You're like, yeah. hey, that's not going to work. Yeah. What about the guys that say, hey, uh, you know, uh, I can get you. Uh, you know, and, and you'll be and you'll be making 30K, you know, you see it all, all throughout your Instagram feed. No, none of that stuff works. You know what works? Hard work and right. consistency. You know, <laughs> People and don't want to do that. That's what works. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right. Hey, let me ask you about your biggest challenge. What's the biggest challenge you're going through right now in any part of your life? And when you hit big challenges, how do you work through them? You know, I would say the biggest challenge, and I don't, I, you know, I'll tell you the biggest challenge. And I don't really, I don't, I, a lot of people know this, but I don't, I don't say it that often is that um, uh, about seven years ago, I was diagnosed with a uh, inherited retina disease, you know, and it, which affects your center vision, mm. uh, central vision. Um, and so that is, uh, you know, that over time it progresses and, um, and how I, uh, how I deal with it is I just learn to, you just got to learn to adapt and change, you know? And so, um, from a personal perspective, that's, that's really my big, like I said, I mean, it's not a secret, but it's not something I really lead with. Um, but yeah, that's my, um, that's my biggest challenge that, that, that I have now. And I'll, I'll probably always have throughout my life, you know, is just, is learning to adapt and do things differently. Yeah, what great advice, because we've always got to learn to adapt and do things differently because it's always changing. Uh, tomorrow's going to be different than yesterday, and the next day will be different. And if we get great at adapting and figuring things out as we go, it's going to serve you all your life, no doubt about it. What and you- the other thing I'll say about that is we all have challenges, right? We all, there's all, there, everybody, you know, mine are no worse than anybody else's, but you just got to, you know, and, and well, I mean, there are people who have a lot worse. Right. You know, so you just have to uh, you have to adapt and, and you you got to you got to learn to work within your constraints that you have. And then, um, yeah, that's that's what you got to do. That's what I got to do. Absolutely. What do you do when you're feeling down? You're just like, man, this is not a good day. I'm not feeling motivated. How do you shake yourself out of that? Um. Well, I mean, it's kind of like we just talked about a little bit. I, I, I reflect on how grateful I am for what I have. You know, that that's really what I do. And, and I look at the fact that where we're born and where we live, you know, we're incredibly grateful to be here in, in, in America. And I've got a great wife and I got two healthy kids. And so I'm not trying to minimize my problems or challenges. But on the other hand, uh, if I'm feeling down, I just kind of tell myself, hey, man, get out of it. You know, look, look how fortunate you are. Look how lucky you are. Look at the, you still have your mom and you have great siblings and, and you got this business and, and you got these beautiful, healthy kids and, and, and a wife and, you know, turn, turn, turn it around. Stop, stop feeling sorry for yourself. So that's, that's how I deal with it. How do you deal with it? When Gratitude is huge. I'm with you on that. And, and it sounds trite if somebody's not feeling well. And so you got to be careful how, you know, I, one of my favorite verses, Romans 12, 5, it says, mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. And so you got to understand, okay, you're going through a tough time right now. I get it, man. Let's let's mourn right now. Let's have a little pity party. Right. It's, okay, it's okay to feel that way. It's not okay to stay there. 
So let, let's let's understand and acknowledge this. This is a real thing. And now let's acknowledge all the great things in your life. And now let's look at where do you want to be and how can we start getting you back to that? So it all depends on what it is. If it's a little thing, we're going to have a short pity party. If it's something huge, um, like the loss of a loved one, okay, that's going to be a little bit longer pity party, but we're not going to stay there forever. And it's always going to be the same thing where we're going to look at what are we grateful for? What's the purpose in my life? What's my big why that I still care about? Who are the people I still care about? And am I helping them by staying in this pity party? Or is there something I need to do to move up? And and I, I love, and I forgot who said it, but I love this. It says, when you're feeling, the, the best way to feel better when you're feeling down is to lift someone else up. I like that. You know, if you can focus on somebody else and helping somebody else, it takes your it takes you out of this pity party. And it's just like you said, I'm I'm so grateful. I want to help this person who's down. And next thing you know, you're feeling good again. You know, I like that. So tell me a little bit more about your book. Um, go ahead and give a little pitch. You know, the title of it, what made you write it, what people get out of it. I'd love to know. Sure. So my book is uh, The Learn It All Leader, Mindset, Tools, and Traits. And it's really broken into two sections. There's the being and doing. You know, so the being is really like the learn it all mindset. You know, the, the differences between a learn it all and 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 a, and a know it all, somebody who comes, you know, with all the answers. Um, so that's the being part. And then the doing is, uh, I think it's kind of like a easy to read practical guide of of how to go from just being or saying you're going to do something to actually implementing some of the uh, skills that that we talked about that um, that are important for uh, learn it all what I consider to be learn it all leaders and what I'm what I mean by a uh, leader my definition of a leader Greg isn't that you have to manage an 80 person team or, or have a thousand employees we're all we all have the ability to be leaders, whether as a parent, a student, an individual contributor at work. You know, it's, it's just showing up and take you know taking accountability and and, and wanting to make a difference. So um, yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much what my my book is. I wrote it for a couple of reasons. One is uh, I, I feel like I've had a, a great run over the years with these different baseball coaches and and and, and the family I come from. Uh, and I got some pretty good stories, you know, some of them are in the book, some of them are not. And, uh, so I wanted to share all those. And I, I also, I enjoy helping, like I, we've talked about this already, but I, I enjoy helping people. Right. You know? And so I think that there's some easy, actionable items in there. And, uh, the other reason was, you know, my kids, my dad passed away and, uh, obviously he was a big part of my life. He passed away in 2010 and I, uh, want my kids uh, to learn a little bit more about his legacy and, and, and my mom too, you know, for all that work that they, she's still alive, all the work that they put into learn it and the impact that learn it's had, uh, and throughout the years. So those were really my, um, inspirations for, uh, writing the book. I love all those reasons. And it sounds like my kind of book. I, I love learning new stuff. I really don't know how you can be a leader without wanting to learn. I think you got to be a lifelong learner and the great phrase, the leaders are readers. Now, whether you're audible or whether you read it with your eyes, I don't care, but you got to be learning new stuff and feeding your, your, your brain. Um, I love how you said, I learn it all, not a know it all. Uh, that is so huge. Nobody likes to know it all. Are you kidding me? And when you think you're a know it all is when you close your mind and you're not learning anything new and you're certainly not, I know it all at that point. Uh, so I love that. And your reasons for writing, it just made me think, if you have not written a book and you're listening to me right now, you should write a book. Everybody has at least one book in them. And it can be stuff about work. It can just be about your life. And I'm not suggesting that it be a published book. I'm just saying write the book. Because, and tell me if you agree, Damon, but I know when I wrote my book, there's a big difference between just what we're doing right now, just sitting around talking about things we believe or things we think or things that have happened in our life and sitting down and writing a book that you know people are going to read that has to be 
grammatically correct and spell checked and it has to have a coherent flow and there has to be a reason you have chapter one and chapter two and there has to be things you're hoping people will get out of what you're writing whether it be great stories that'll make them laugh or entertain them or make them think about their own life and their own family or whether it's about how to learn something or or whatever it else is is that you're trying to teach but when you put all that down on paper and you organize your thoughts that way it just does something to you as a human being. And it takes a while to do it. You know, if you're writing 500 to 1,000 words a day, that's great. If you're writing 200 words a day, that's great. But you are changing your brain doing that. And you're creating this thing that didn't exist before that is like a testament to your life and what you've done. I mean, to me, it was just, an, even if I never had anybody else read my book, it would have been worth it to write that book. Well, I mean, you you pretty much said it in a nutshell. I would uh, say to everybody out there, yeah, yes, you should do it. it. It's been it's been kind of a game changer for me, you know. I, I and I I want to give my wife credit for kind of pushing me, pushing me to to do it, you know, because um, people have asked me to, to, but you know, it's hard. It is hard to do. I would recommend going out and, and getting the book, picking up the book. Um, I think it's called Bird by Bird. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. I think it's 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 a, there's two books that um, a gentleman who works for me recommended. He's a writer uh, on writing by Stephen King, and I think it's um, Bird by Bird Annie, uh, and it just kind of talks about writing your first shitty uh, um, draft or whatever it is, you know. And um, but it's great, and yeah, I think that sitting down, putting all your thoughts together, writing everything out. It's hard. It's fun. Sometimes it's not fun. Um, and three quarters of the way through it, I'm like, I don't really want to do this anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, just, I just don't want to do it. My wife is so great. I, I literally come in on, on Saturdays and uh, Sundays in the morning um, and um, continue to work on it. And then I got to the point, I don't know how you felt, but I got to the point where a little bit of imposter syndrome and I was like, well, what if, what if everybody thinks that this is terrible, right? And, and they laugh at me or, or whatever. And I'm just like, who cares? You know, I mean, and then I, uh, I put it out there. And when those books first arrived, I have a picture of it on my Instagram. I, I, I got it. What, a, what an accomplishment it felt like, you know, what, what, a, what an accomplishment. And um, it's, I don't know, exceeded my expectations. And uh, if I can do it, you know, your listeners or your, you can do it too, you know, and, and it, it's, uh, you, but you got to put in the work. I would, like I said, I'd start by reading one of those uh, bird by bird uh, just to get, get some motivation and examples on, on how to do it. And it's all about just, just start writing, just do it, you know, and, and put it together. And if you decide you want to publish it, great. If not, then you don't have to, but uh, just a great experience. I agree with all that. Um, there were days I didn't want to do it. I just kept doing it days. I thought, well, why would anybody read my book? What am I saying that nobody else has said? Who am I to think I can do this? And then by the time I got it done and, and shared it with a few people and reread it myself, I was like, you know what? I, I think this is pretty good. This, this actually could be a good book. And, you know, and yeah. then I have a picture too. Like you said, the day my book, I'm sitting in my office and I'm holding up the copy of my book. And it's still one of the top moments of my life of having this book done in my hand that that did not exist until I wrote it. And now it's here and it's going to help some people. And, and it's all, and then when you get those first people that email you, hey, you know, your book really changed my life. I was like, changed your life. What? That's awesome. That's what I hoped it would do that to somebody. I didn't know it really would. So, yeah, it's it's so great. So, yeah, I got a. uh so I, yeah, I talked a lot about Andy Lopez from Pepperdine. You know, we lost touch for 30 years, but since I talked about him so much in my book, I went out to Tucson and uh, I, I go out there anyways for work and other things. And I got together for lunch with them and I presented him a copy of my book, you know, cause he's in it. And first thing he's like, well, should I get a lawyer involved? I'm like, no, man, I like, this is great. And he called me a week later and he said, Damon, this is a, I wish I had this book when I was coaching this, this 
what you talk about in here is is great for all these athletes who are going from the transition like we talked about greg earlier about the identity he's like it's the th this is what they should be reading for the times that they came back to me and said coach what do i do now my career is over with he's like i wish i could have just handed them your book and uh, like you said i think it's uh it's, it's a great feeling where, uh, you know, somebody comes back to you, sends you an email or gives you a call or texts you or, or DMs you on LinkedIn and, and said, hey, I read your book and I really got something out of it, you know? So it was, uh, yeah, it's a great experience. Well, that's awesome. I appreciate your time today. I appreciate what you're doing with your employees and with your customers and your family. And uh, thanks for spending the time and sharing with us. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. And uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. Awesome. Okay. Where can everybody find you? I'll put it all in the notes. I'll put your website in there. Learnit.com and uh, connect with me on LinkedIn at Damon Lemby. And if anybody's interested or if you have a high performer on your team who wants a free class, just send me a message and I'll, uh, I'll kick you over a free class. Love it. I'll put the links to everything that Damon just mentioned in the show notes. So it'll be real easy for you to click and go to it. Thanks again, Damon. Thanks, Greg.